All right, so now we prayed over it. Okay, you're ready to go. So you want to take this and, and ask God who this is that you would like to invite and then um, invite them. And it's amazing what God will do. Okay, speaking of being difference makers, it happens to be the title of this series. And we talked about last week, the first half of being difference maker, how Jesus really is the difference maker. The gospel makes the difference for us. And uh, if uh, you missed that last week, it's on our website, funchurch.com. You can go to our sermons and listen to those things, but really talked about the gospel and how amazing it really is. What great news it is. Now, just a summary for you, the gospel, if we're going to summarize and say, what is the gospel? It's the great message of this, that it's not about you or me. It's about Jesus, right? That we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as we follow him, he transforms us from the inside out so we become a blessing to others. Talk about good news. And the gospel trans, transforms us. It transforms our everything. It gives us hope and purpose and meaning. But the gospel is being difference makers. And so to, in order to do that, we're going to, of course, our memory verse for this particular series, um, which is the gospel in, in one verse form that we find in Romans 6. Uh, 23, and we're going to be using this later on. Uh, we're going to set that to our heart and minds, and that kind of sets the framework for how we go in and what does God want us to do with this. So here we go. So we're going to just say it along with me. All right, here we go. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans six twenty-three. That is the gospel, isn't it? Everything I said before, that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Right, that we are saved by God's grace through faith. But the wage of sin is death. We'd be saved from something. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then all we're saved, but, but life isn't just to live. It's how we live. It is not just to be alive, but it's to have a life. As we follow him, he transforms us from the inside out. Changes us fundamentally, wonderfully. So we become a blessing to others. The gospel. I was uh, in Kansas this last week. I have a cousin who's 15 years old, almost 16, and he was tragically killed in a farm accident because farming is dangerous. And he was messing around and uh, playing on his cell phone, and unfortunately, that was a fatal mistake. And uh, whilst I was there, I had an opportunity to agree with my family, and um, uh, my, my cousin, Thunder, uh, he, uh, he was a believer and uh, went to a... Uh, a youth group that was there. And uh, two weeks before he died, one of his friends um, in that small community, is a town of about 2,000 people, one of his friends, um, his uh, mother was murdered by his father, which is pretty horrible, tragic. And he's got two brothers and sisters, and it was very, very tough for this tiny community now to have two of these things. Well, uh, as I got to talk to some of his friends and also his youth pastor as to some of the things that transpired that were, were there, I learned that Thunder, uh, right after his friend's mom was murdered, uh, they were in the back of the church van, and the pastor had just preached on this passage, right? That's just the brokenness of this world. That's what sin does. But God has a better story. It's not the end of the story. And Thunder leaned over to his friend, and he said, I just want you to know that I'm here for you. But he said, but even more than me, he says, because I don't know how long I get to be here for you, but God will always be there for you. The gift of God is eternal life. And I think what an amazing thing, and, and that friend got to talk about in his funeral, his, his message about you know, the hope that we have that is so much bigger than the pain of this life. 
And we talk about that today. The gospel isn't a joke. The gospel is real life, real hope. It's a message that gives us something so much better than this world could possibly give us. And it's something so much more than the world could ever take away. The wage of sin is death. We all see it, right? We all see it. It's horrible. It's painful. Praise God, it's not the end of the story. God's given us something so much more than we deserve. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be in uh, there this morning. And, and uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. A church that at first really struggled as they were growing and were learning about Christ. You get to 2 Corinthians, second letter to them. You see how that church has begun to grow. And, and really Paul talking about what is the main thing and, and how do we begin to, to, have, to walk in that power that God has given us, the purpose that God has given us in this new life. Right? And so we get into chapter 4 and, uh, and we see that Paul really focuses on this different kind of hope that we have. Hope. Now, hope, that's not like the world has. Hope that the world has is things, it's, it's like wishful thinking. You know, like, I hope I win the lottery. That's stupid hope, right? Probably not going to happen. It might, and it'd be great if it did. That's how the world thinks of hope. But that's not how hope is in Scripture. Hope in Scripture is a confident assurance. I know this will happen, right? Something that hasn't happened yet, but I'm absolutely positive, I know that it will happen. Like, uh, I hope I have a birthday this year on July 31st, right? It's going to happen, Right? Even if I'm in heaven, that will happen because I'm going to party, right? Because it's my birthday. The confident assurance. And Paul talks about this confident assurance that we have. See, our hope that we have gives us something called purpose in life. This world, we talk about being in a post Christian culture, a, a culture which has has moved away from the way that God says he's got, he exists and he has meanings for, for the way that the world is and all that kind of stuff. And, and and the, the purpose of the gospel, most of our, our community doesn't know the gospel anymore, as though there is no God. And if there is no God, then what is, what is the meaning of life? And for many, they just don't want to go there, and so we busy ourselves getting so busy doing other things that we don't have to think about it. Others uh, go into depression. What does it even matter? But the thing is, is that we actually have a real hope, a confident assurance that, that it, this does matter. Today does matter. What we go through does matter. Even, even our sufferings, as Zach read today from the Word, even our sufferings have purpose. They're doing something good. Everything matters. And so we have a hope to know that this world isn't all there is. That the tragedies and the things that we have to endure, that we have to grieve now, that's not the end of the story. That there's something so much bigger and better happening right now that we are a part of that gives us that gives us not just the ability to endure it, but the joy to see through it and pass it and say, God, you're doing something amazing. And I'm trusting you until it comes. And so we're not weighed down. There is no room for, for despair. Hope. And that's what Paul's talking about right here in this passage. The hope that transforms us. The hope that can transform the world. This world's not all there is. The gospel saves. That's true, right? The gospel is the power of God to transform lives. But we realize that in that phrase, that statement that the gospel saves, that we are saved by God's grace, there is some profoundly bad news that starts with we have to be saved. There is a reason the gospel saves. is because we all live in peril. The wage of sin is death. 
And all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us. We've sinned against ourselves. And the thing is is that this world still is in peril. God has given us the antidote. He's given us the great message and the good news. But the gospel just in and of itself, if nobody knows about it, doesn't do any good. Like if you're really, really sick and you go to the doctor and you get the medicine, the thing that's going to get you better, and then you keep it in the medicine cabinet and you forget about it, you're still going to be sick. We have the medicine. But God now calls and partners us. He says, I want you to join me in this. I want you to be my difference makers. And so the reason we do that is because in this passage, we realize that why he calls us to the first thing is that we know people are in peril. This world is in peril. Look at verses 1 through 3. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways to the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. As I say that in that passage, is the truth that the people in this world, without good news, they're perishing. It's just like people who, who die of sickness don't die because they didn't get the medicine. They die because the sickness killed them. That we are live in a world where bad things happen to everybody. Good people, bad people, all this is a broken world. And people live in peril. I like my, my, my cousin, 15. You wouldn't think, one second here, one second gone. Some of us get a few more years, but all of us disappear at some point. This world is brief and it is not guaranteed. It has a lot of great things, but it also has a lot of pain. And at the end of the day, all of us in the midst of it has somehow failed ourselves and failed God. We followed our own moral compasses. We recognize that the people in this world are perishing, starting with ourselves. That's why we needed the gospel. That's why we need it. But it's not just us. I think sometimes we think about good news, the gospel, and we think, well, that's a nice thing for evangelists. That's a nice thing for other people. I don't think we really understand the plight that most of the people we know live within. They are perishing. It's not a joke. Christianity is not some club. It's not just something we sign up to to make us feel better, to have better lives. This is real. There's a day you and me, with our own eyes, we will see God. And it will come far quicker than you assume. The world's not a joke. And I'll say this, if I know that somebody's in peril and I don't do anything to help, that's hatred, isn't it? I mean, if I know that you're in trouble, if I see you standing on the railroad tracks and the train's coming down and you're not listening to it, and I just stand back and just watch the train hit you, how can I possibly say I love you? We have to begin with the fact that God calls us into this action because people are in peril. We are compelled to be difference makers because we know there has a difference is needed. In verse 4, in that, I mean, it talks about the, that the enemy blinds the theme of darkness. They're blinded by darkness. That's a totally different thing. 
I think sometimes in Christ, we have experienced God's light, we see his truth, and we get so frustrated that there are people who don't understand God's love yet, and they have their own broken moral compasses, and they, in their pride and arrogance, stand in opposition even to God. And we say, fine, you don't deserve the kingdom. Right? Have you ever been so frustrated by the darkness and the way of this world? You're just like, oh, and it's hard to love those who live in darkness? Aren't you glad that God didn't love me because I, was, I deserved it? I was in darkness at one time, too. My moral compass was askew. And these people are being blinded by the enemy of our souls. I mean, being tricked to think, that wrong is right and really believing that what is evil is good. The problem is that we, not that we live in an immoral culture. The problem is we live in a wrongly moral culture. That we do horrible things in the name of good and we end up hurting people. We wonder why. And our lives fall apart and our families fall apart. And we don't know why. Because we think we're doing the right things. There is a blindness that has come across our culture and our world. There's inherent in just being human. There are times that I get frustrated with the brokenness of the world. You talk to my wife, my son too. My home is a safe space. It's a safe zone where I don't have to be perfect, right? But we've got to be real and loving. And there are times that I see the brokenness. I see the rage against God in this world. And I want justice so badly. I, want, I, I know how good God is and it makes me angry the way that he's, he's wrongly portrayed in media and by people and culture. And I get so mad and I'll vent sometimes, right? And I'll be like, oh, they don't deserve the gospel, right? And I get so mad. But every time I do, I'm reminded that I'm in with them. I didn't deserve it either. God didn't save me because Aaron Dorman was an awesome guy. But I wasn't. And I'm not. He saved me because he's awesome. He saved me because he loves me. He gave me the opportunity to be freed from my brokenness. He loved me that much. I think we have to recognize that people are in peril. We can't hate them for it. We can't be mad at a world because it needs saving. We have to love. It's leading people astray and it's leading to all kinds of horrible things. Addiction is on the rise. Divorce is now the norm. Broken homes, broken families is up there. Suicide is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Why? Because the people are broken. God doesn't despise broken people. He loves them. He loves them so much that he gave them good news. Good news. That's where we have to begin. He calls us because the world needs something different. Something bigger and more, that's more healing than our culture. Something that is better than just our consciences. That makes us say, follow your heart. And if you think you're a good person, you are. Because we all know we're not. Something that's better than religion, just a list of rules in a, in a way that if you just do these things and cage the beast, then somehow you won't be horrible. We need something better than that. We need something more than just, than just uh, false assurance. We need a transformation. That's what the gospel provides, because the wage of sin is death. So we go because people are in peril, but we also go because we know the gospel. We know that not just that people are in peril, we know the solution. We know good news. We can say to them, 
I get this. It's good news for me too. Look what it says in verse 5. And this is amazing to me. It says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You get this. This is not about us going and making duplicates of, of us. It's not us to go into a broken community or, or people that do things that make us uncomfortable and make them stop doing the things that make us uncomfortable. It's not what it's about at all. It's about going and saying, I'm broken and I found a way to be healed. And, and this is for you too. I preach Christ, not me. We preach Christ, not us. We point people to Jesus, not just this church. We point them to Jesus because he saves. That's an amazing thing. The world doesn't need any more errands. God made one and he was like, okay, that's enough. Right? He doesn't need more of you either, but we need more Christ. We need to be saved. And so the light, we recognize the truth of the gospel is that we know it, it is in us. So we don't argue people into the kingdom. It's good to know the truth, and it's good to to know why that we're saved and have good doctrine and all that's very important, but that's not what brings somebody to faith. You see, we have something that's that's powerful. It has something amazing in us. We are actually saved. We are transformed. We receive God's light into our darkness, into our our world. We, We understand His grace because we've received it. We actually get forgiveness. Shame goes away, right? Purpose replaces despair. When that happens, the experience of this, it's a profound experience. And it gives me something called testimony. When I see God not just save me, but then continue to transform me, I talk about God makes a difference in my life. Because of my faith, I'm a person that's not angry like I used to be. Because of my faith, I'm a person that's able to serve others without being, I'm naturally an arrogant person, right? When I, before Christ, you didn't want to know me because I thought I was the best possible thing ever. And then I realized I wasn't, and Jesus showed me that he could be so much better than me. Uh, Because of my faith, I've got a much stronger family. I'm a much better dad. I'm a much better husband. I'm a much better friend. I'm a much better neighbor. Because of my faith, God transforms me to do what naturally I wouldn't do. It's an amazing thing. It's called testimony. In the book of Revelation, where at the very end, it talks about that uh, heavens that has like windows looking into earth. They can see what's happening here. I don't know if it's like on a big Megatron or like television or something. In heaven. I don't know how it all happens. But it, the story says that up in heaven, that they're watching those, the saints that are in heaven, and they're watching what's happening on earth now. And in heaven, it says, finally, when the enemy, when Satan is defeated, he's the, the beast is destroyed. There's like this mighty roar. It's like when you're in the middle of a football stadium and your home team scores a winning touchdown with two seconds left and everybody just goes crazy. It's like this mighty roar. Everyone's like, yeah, right? And they break out in this awesome chant. It's like a song. They're like, yeah. And it says that they, the church, us, defeated the enemy. How? And it says this, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. God's power, but also our experience of it, us, our willingness to share what God has done. That's huge. Testimony is powerful because it takes the theology of God and puts it into real flesh. It puts it in a time and space for other people and say, look, God heals broken people. Look at me. If he can love me, trust me, he can love you. 
our lives are testimony that light overcomes darkness. Our experience in Christ is the proof to this world that the gospel has the power to save. Not some distant land, some other things, but us. And therefore, that God is shining through you, he and through me. Look what it says. It says, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed the face of Christ. Do you get that? The universe didn't have a say in whether or not it was going to have light. God said, let there be light. Boom, light. That same God with all of that same power and the darkness of our own brokenness and our own hearts and, and our own sin and our own selfishness said, let the light shine. Boom, in here. If God says it, it happens. It says in this word that it's impossible for God to lie. This is why. Because if God says it, it becomes true. Which if you had that power, it would be impossible for you to lie too. And God said that you are saved. He said that you are loved. God calls you his children. God says you are my daughter, my son. God said you are my saint. The light of Christ is in you. And now it's up to you how much you want to let it shine. But we live in a dark world that needs to see something different. How does the enemy blind us? He turns off the light. That's what it says. By darkness. He makes it so it's impossible for people to see. Well, if you were in a room where everybody, somebody shot off all the lights, it'd be impossible for you to see too. But if somebody else went in there with a bunch of flashlights, guess what would happen? You could see. You are the light of Christ. That's what he says. That's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. Don't let your light be camouflaged. Don't put it under a bushel or a basket. The Christ is in you. He's compelling. He says, listen, I saved you, but not just so you could be saved. I saved you so I could send you. And the thing is, we have to recognize that when God changes me, when he, when he reveals his gospel in me, that it's not up to how good I am. That I'm, it's not about me. It's about him. That I'm saved by God's grace because what he's done just through faith. And Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That that, that amazing, profound truth that, that I'm loved so I can love other people, that I was given grace so I can forgive people who don't deserve it. I can care for people who don't deserve it. I can serve people who will never serve me back because I have been forgiven. I have been served. I have been loved. That kind of light, right? God has given me that kind of light in my life, that transformation that I'm no longer the person I was. He's given that to me, not just because he loves me, but so I can show that God is real in this world that I can show his love to other people in this world so they can see for themselves that God is real, that he's caring, that he's loving, that grace is not a joke. God shines through us. And to recognize it's a work of Christ, not me. I don't go into this world and say, this guy. And you know what? Hopefully 10 years from now, I'll even be better as God continues to transform me. And you have that same hope and the same light in you. You are in Christ. Verse 7, though, we say that God is shining through us. How does he do it? But we say, where does the power come from? How does he sign? He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all surpassing power is from God, not from us. The gospel as it is proclaimed can't be, hey, become like me. If you go to my church, you're going to learn how to be a person just like me. I'm sorry, you're not compelling enough that way, right? Well, you could say, if, we, if you meet God, he's going to transform you. The darkness, the brokenness, all of those things, he works together for incredible, amazing, beautiful things. He makes you his masterpiece. It's phenomenal. 
God is the one that powers this. God is the one who saves people, not us. Which also means this, that the power of the gospel comes from Christ, not me. But this is really, really good. Because if it was just up to us, if God said, Jesus said, I want you to go and save the world and I'll be up here in heaven waiting for you, then we would be messed up. Right? Because we're all so broken. But isn't it great when he gave us the commission, when he said, God is shining through you, he says all this, it's his power? Which means that you don't have to be smart enough. How many of us think that sometimes I'm just not smart enough, I don't know the Bible well enough to, have to do anything of value for God's kingdom? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. How do you say, well, I am not holy enough, right? I'm not, I'm not a righteous enough person for God to use. Isn't that the point? How can you possibly have testimony how God saved a broken person if you don't start with the fact that you're broken? We get it. You're not holy. That's why God is. But he's going to do something amazing through you. How about you say, well, I'm not perfect enough? It's not about that. It's about Jesus. It's his power. Which means that we don't have to do crazy things to bring people to the kingdom. It's not about our intellect or tricking people in or having the right kind of marketing or all that kind of stuff or, or to sell Jesus. We don't have to do that. It's not up to us. We just testify what he has done. We leave the rest to God. We just have to be willing. We have to say, listen, I'm going to not hide who Christ is in my life. I'm going to share my testimony. And we recognize because of that that God is sending us. I'm not afraid by the fact that he's commissioned me. And it says in Scripture exactly why he's commissioned me. We get to verse uh, six, chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. Chapter 5, it says, So from now on, the rest of the world looks at him. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, as he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is his message through us. He's commissioned us to represent him. And he's done that, if you saw at the very beginning of it, he does it because God loves lost people. Aren't you glad for that? He's not like me, who gets so fed up with people who annoy me, who say, oh, you rebellious people. He's not like that. God loves the broken. If you're broken and you feel far away from God, take comfort in this, that God span any distance to come and find you. If you've been nasty and mean and awful to Him, He's not holding that against you. If you've messed up, entirely, and you can't even forgive yourself, God forgives you. He can forgive you. And He can bring you to a point that you can forgive yourself. Our God loves lost people. He loves the people who pick at Him. He loves the people who bring up giant governments and slaughter Christians. He even loves those people too. Our God's love is massive. It is enormous. It is unfathomable, and it holds us tightly in its grip. God loves lost people. He says, go to them. I was lost. I'm not anymore. 
So he says, now you, as my ambassador, go to those that are lost. Love them. Romans 10, 14, it reminds us of this. It says, we have to go. It says, how then can they, those who were lost, call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear if someone's not preaching to them? And we're called. In fact, the next part of that says, how beautiful are the feet of those on the mountain who share good news. I love that. I preached to the choir. I know that because I was up there playing bass and I was watching you all sing lovely. You get to preach God's message into the darkness. Each one of us are his messengers. We are his ambassadors. And that takes prayer. But I'll tell you, each one of us is so egocentric that people that annoy us, we don't want to share the gospel with. There are some people in your circle of influence that you probably know that you're like, I would prefer not to spend forever with, if you're honest, right? But God even loves them. So what do we do? As we say, God, give me your heart for the lost. Give me your heart for those who are dying because of their blindness. Give me your heart for those that are separated from you. Help me love the people in my, my family, my community, my neighborhood, my, my employment, my area. Help me love those people like you do. God's commissioned you because you are his ambassador. That's what he's done. So it says, it says, you are Christ's ambassadors. We implore you as Christ were speaking through us. Be reconciled to God. You've been authorized by Christ to go and represent him. And think how amazing that is. There are days I don't want to represent myself, right? And yet Jesus says, yeah, you're broken, but I want you to represent me. I want you to show not my perfection, but my redemption. I want you to testify to other people how good I've been to you because I want to be that good to others as well. That's all you got to do. God authorized you. You know what? Personal evangelism is God's plan. That is Christ's plan. We are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. That was Jesus' plan A. And he has no plan B. He sends us. So we have to go. But we're not just commissioned as his ambassadors. We are his co-workers. And Scripture says that we are Christ's co-workers. That is crazy. That's a, that's a promotion if I ever heard one. Right? But God's working with you in this. In the Great Commission, He ends this with the most wonderful promise, I'm with you always. There's no expiration date. Jesus wasn't like, hey, go reach the world and you got two millennia to do it. He said, I'm with you always. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I am with you. And I'm with you every step of the way. When you're doing it really well and when you're failing horribly, I am with you. And here's the power of God in that, right? We are doing battle against, it says here, the the God of this age, right? The devil who puts people in darkness. And that seems really scary because the devil is real and he's powerful and all that dark forces and we get all spooky, gooey about, right? But if God is with us, things change a little bit. Do you remember the story of when Jesus got off the boat? He went to Gentile territory people and just needed a break. He gets on this boat and he goes across to Gentile territory. And we know it's Gentile territory because the Bible says it was, but also because there was pigs there, lots of them. And that wasn't good for Jewish people, so they'd be unclean. So he gets there, and there is this dude that had an entire legit army of demons inside of him. Now, that's a, that's a crazy possession, like mind-blowing, like an entire army 
of demons inside of this guy. And the entire community, even though they were Gentiles, they had no idea about who God really was. They knew that this dude was messed up. And they tried to do things to protect themselves from him. Like they used chains and all that kind of stuff. And this guy had a lot of demonic power. And he would like break through the chains and he would beat people and all that kind of stuff. And he was living out on the fields. And he was, he was bad. He was, a, he was a mess. Right? So you have an army of demons. And it would just take one demon really to kind of do us all in without it. Right? But what's what happened? Jesus steps off the boat. And this army of demons is like, what? Right? And this crazy man that had all these demons charges Jesus. Like an entire army of demons charges Jesus. Jesus is not afraid, not flinching. He doesn't like get back in the boat like, hey, guys, uh, let's just go down. He doesn't do it. Stands his ground. And the army of demons stops and surrenders without even firing a shot. Says, we know who you are, the Holy One. And begs for mercy, an army of demons that all this entire community couldn't stop, stops in front of Jesus and said, have mercy. Don't torment us. They surrender immediately. And Jesus, because he's merciful, gives them mercy. Casts them in some pigs. The pigs go for a swim. We know the story. Here's the thing, that God is in you. He is with you. It's not like God has like a, a corporate headquarters in like Denver or something right? And then we call up and we like through prayer. We're like, hey, we could use some extra support down here. There's some demons and all. No, God himself, Christ says, I am with you always. That's why the gospel is not afraid of darkness. It overcomes light because God is with us. He is the light. That's why Jesus said, listen, even the gates of hell, the most fortified portions of the enemy's kingdom can't withstand us. We walk right through just like a flashlight cuts through even the darkest night. It's not even hard for him. Why we're not afraid. We are Christ's co-workers. We march wherever Christ tells us to go. We're not afraid of the darkness. We just have to go and love people. We have to show that light. That's all we do. We don't have to be convincing. We don't have to have the right words at the right timing or anything like that. We just have to go and love people enough when God provides opportunities to show. I think when we go look in this series that we've done and we talk about the difference maker, yeah, the gospel is the difference maker for humanity. But you are the gospel carrier. You're the difference maker in our community, the people that you know, the people that you love. If you've received Christ, there's a change in you. You've been saved by grace through faith. And now we have to go and we have to love the people around us enough to share. The gospel makes all the difference, doesn't it? If our faith comes down to a point where we just try to be religious, try to just obey Jesus, not as an act of faith, right? If we just try to do things enough to earn God's favor, we've missed the point. You've got to start with grace. You've got to start with that God loves you deeply, as broken as you were, because that allows us to love others that were broken, even when they don't deserve it. So Jesus sends us. He's sending us. He's sending us into this community, not just us, but all of his believers in this valley. He says, go and love this valley, saturate it with his light so everybody has the opportunity to hear who he is because everybody deserves an opportunity to see how much God cares for them, to have the same hope that we live with. You are the difference maker. Now, I know for a lot of us, that's intimidating and scary. That's why this Wednesday, I'm going to be having, a. it's a free class. It's right here. Uh, We're going to talk about Personal evangelism, that was a scary two, three words there, right? It's going to be a seminar and personal and evangelism. All three are scary words, but don't be scared. It's going to be fun, right? 
We're going to take two hours. We're going to go through. We're going to talk about how do you share your faith? How do you share that testimony in you? We're going to help put that together so you'll leave equipped. But it's not about having a smooth sales pitch. It's what you're going to find. It's about realizing how much God has changed you so that way you begin praying for the right opportunities. We, have, we leave with a, with a plan. And if you need that, if you'd like some help, some training, I invite you to join me. But I need to know you're coming because I, I have some tools that I put together for you. So if you want to join me on that on your connection card, write DM or it's actually one of the, the next steps on your, on your connection card. And then show up this Wednesday. Pray that there's not snow. That would be nice. And, uh, and we will uh, we'll work. And there's a, a gift that I got for you if you come. But for all of us, there's a next step. Whether or not you want to join me this Wednesday. And I take your, neck, your connection card. And, and so always say, as we follow Christ, as we, as we follow him, he transforms us from the inside out. These are just next step, steps, steps of faith. But I invite you today to take at least one. And so maybe these steps are this. On the backside of your connection card, maybe you say this week, I'm going to memorize Romans 6.23. Now, if you're going to show up this Wednesday, I highly encourage you to memorize this because we're going to talk about how we can use this and how I've used this particular verse to help share my faith with my friends and some of my do it. So maybe you begin by memorizing that. Maybe you want to read Romans chapters 1 through 6. This is a great preparation for Easter Sunday. We look at how the purpose of the gospel and why we need it. Uh, it reminds us what great news the resurrection is. So I invite you, read the Romans chapters 1 through 6 this week. Or maybe what you want to do is you want to invite someone to church. I encourage all of us to do that. Why? You are his difference maker. There's somebody that you may know that needs to know the gospel. We've even given you an invite. But pray over it first. Maybe you want to attend the Difference Maker Seminar. That's what you want to do. Or maybe there's something different. And God's speaking to you. And he's, you know there's something you're supposed to do. Listen to him. But write it down as your pastor. I will pray for you. I'll support you. Or maybe what you need to do today, maybe you need to start a relationship with Jesus yourself. The gospel has to be, or you have to have that treasure that fills you first. And if you've never made that decision to follow Christ, this is what you can do. If you know that you need to make that, you're saved by God's grace through faith. And Christ shows us faith needs to be expressed Faith is a nebulous, weird thing. It's got to be expressed so we know we have it. Through belief, that's trusting that he's, that he's telling you the truth. Even when we have doubts, right? Uh, we have confession, right? Which is basically identifying with Jesus, saying, I'm going to stand with him. I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to be his now, not my own. I'm going to follow his rule book, not mine. Repentance, that's really what it is. It's following his rule book, saying it's going to be his way, not my way. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm going to commit myself to following him. And being baptized, that's that one-time expression where the other ones keep going, right? You always are confessing and believing and, and repenting. But baptism, of following Christ and saying, listen, I'm, I'm expressing my faith and, and belief. That's why I'm being baptized. I'm expressing it in, in confession. I'm, a, I'm saying I'm, I'm identifying with Jesus, right? Like he was buried and raised again. I'm being, I would die to my sin and being born again as, uh, and repentance. Saying I'm living a new life but also being discipled. If you need to, to take those steps of faith, receiving Christ into your life, then that's what I want you to do is on your connection card, there's a thing that says, I want information about starting a relationship with Jesus. And then make sure that I have your contact information and come talk to me after the service, right? I'm, I'm sure you've got questions and I want to make sure that we help you get started, right? This is a big deal. <laughs> and uh, what a perfect time of year to do that. Um, but if you have any of that, that uh, I encourage you. Don't let today pass without receiving the life that Christ has for you. He loves you. And once you've received his love, he empowers you to do great things with it. So 
Whatever your commitments are, I encourage you to make those now, as well as on the back side, there's a prayer line for prayer requests. We pray for you every week. In a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, please take this connection card, minus your memory verse thing, because you want to keep that, right? But take your memory, take this uh, connection card, put it in the basket along with your tithes and your offerings, and uh, let's pray for uh, what God will do uh, this week as he prepares us to celebrate Easter. Let's do that. Father God, thank you for your love, for your goodness, that we have a hope that is so much better than this world is, could have possibly offer. You are good and you are amazing. So Father, we uh, look to you uh, to be that hope in us. Let your light shine through us into this community. I pray for each one of us that this Easter as we share and invite our friends, Lord, may they receive our invitation with gladness and in the right spirit. Father, I pray that you would release uh, so many of our friends and neighbors and co-workers and those that we love from the lie of, of this world, the lie of religion and the lie of morality that, that we are all just good enough on our own. But Father, would you set them free according to your light that we are given such great grace and they are not counting people's sins against us. And we can be saved by that grace just through faith in Christ. Father, we make commitments today. Help us to keep those in a way that really changes us, honors you. Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings too. We invest in your kingdom because you're worthy. We do it for your glory. So we ask that you would please bless and multiply it. Uh, Lord, may your greatness be, be known in this valley. May your love be embraced by those we live around. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.